0: Hello and welcome to Abandoned Cart, the podcast that we wish we had when running our own e-commerce store. The host for today is just myself because sadly my co-host Adam couldn't join us, but Adam and I um, are the co-founders of Pink Leopard, a growth acceleration agency specializing in e-commerce. Joining us today is marketing attribution expert, Jill Quick. Jill is an analytics consultant and trainer at the coloring in department who was going to be talking to us about e-commerce attribution and how to get the most out of your marketing and measurement. So we are very excited about that. Jill, welcome to the show.
1: Hello. Thank you. I think everybody says thanks for having me, but genuinely, <laughs> thanks for having me. It's lovely to meet you all.
0: Thanks so much for being here. So we, we kick off every episode with this question, just so our listeners can get to know our um, guest experts on a personal level. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever received and how has it impacted your life?
1: So I say so thankfully Laura prompted me to go we're going to be asking you this question have a think and I think for me because it's hard isn't it you get lots of information from lots of different people but I think the the biggest piece of advice that I got that I probably use still today and mention to other people comes from an old manager of mine when I started one of my first jobs when I moved down to London many many years ago And she said, what you've got to learn about marketing, Jill, is that most of this job for our department is managing people's expectations. Because there were loads of examples, right, where we had projects or meetings and there was always something that went wrong. It's just life. It's just what happened. And when we got into the crux of it it was down to some form of disappointment, which comes from unmet expectations. So she said, everything from your communications, a statement of work, a briefing, what are you doing? Who's doing it by when, never assume. And I was like, got it. She's like, I mean it. Don't be sat in a meeting. And it happened. Oh, I assumed the web agency was loading all those images. Oh, no, we thought you were doing it. Oh, I thought that was IT's job. So there were lots of examples in that very early phase of my career where I just remember, just manage people's expectations. What can you do? What should you be doing? But communicate that really clearly. And I think I use that probably even now with my own consultancy now being as clear as I can be as to what's going to happen and who's going to do what so I think that's probably been the biggest impactful bit of advice I got given at quite an early age that I still use
0: yeah that's oh my gosh yeah that is so true we we have this conversation all the time in our agency and I guess because we're a performance marketing agency and it's all about sort of results we can't hide from that it's so much about setting the expectations at the start otherwise and yeah. i really realized that it is it is so about that because you can like we're not you know magicians not everything's going to go right all the time but as long as you've had that honest conversation and you're not right. promising the world then then yeah everything
1: seems to run so much more smoothly than if you don't if you can kind of promise the world to the point where if you were doing a project and there was a there was a delivery which there normally is right with the stuff that you're doing it's either maintenance tasks or you're delivering something of a performance nature you can always do the this is the best case this is the worst case and this is what actually happens so you're framing it to go if everything goes wonderfully i don't know we launch a campaign for you it reaches the right people nobody has any friction problems we sell out all of your stock worst case scenario things outside of our control with political situations that go on in the world product management supply management people just deciding that they don't want to buy from you anymore there's loads of things that can happen what's the worst case scenario and then whatever happened in that period what actually happened and then review and refine from there and again that was another the output of a lot of these things she's like do a best case worst case and then what actually happened mm-hmm. and if it was good fantastic what did we do to make that happen if it was bad don't cry about it let's learn from it and work on the next the next project to make sure we just close those off so we have less issues so yeah, yeah. but it, it impacts everything yeah. like no matter what industry you're in I think it's um really important
0: yeah absolutely love that thank you okay great so before we get into the, the questions, which I'm very excited to, to ask you about, um, mm-hmm. I'd love to just have a bit of an understanding of who you are, what, what it is that you do and also where the name, the coloring in department came from, because I just, I love it. I I've heard it myself on other podcasts, but I'd love to hear
1: and, it again. And that is Exactly the reason that I went for it. No matter what I did in my, in my career, and I've been very fortunate that I found what i enjoy very early on so i was doing like gcse business i don't even know if they're even called gcses now but from about the age of 15 doing those modules i'm like this is really interesting i like this and then from my a levels doing business my favorite one was marketing and then i did some placements and experience in marketing went on to do a degree in marketing postgrad in it so i've always been in this field And it's just annoyed me that no matter what I did, whether it was for a B2B company, a charity, profit, non-profit, big company, little company, our department was always seen as the revenue taker and the ones that you needed, but you weren't quite sure why. And it was hard to prove the value and you would get that, that slur. It happened in multiple companies where... They were like you know they're all there with their crayons and we need an eco roller for an event jill or and i'm like i've just built you a website or we've just launched a brand new ppc campaign and we were just referred to it as, as the coloring in department so when i was thinking of a name for a change in direction i'm like Do you know what i'm going to to own it and weirdly and i know everybody can see this i've actually got some pin badges with the coloring <laughs> in department so i'm just like I oh, will wear my badge of rep- I'll send you on in the post yeah thank one. you <laughs> and I'm, really proud of that. I'm like fine we are the colouring in department we are the creatives that are going to work on all of the things that your business needs and it is an art and a science you can't have one without the other but I accidentally fell in love with analytics from probably trying revenge is the wrong word but trying to ensure the work that I was doing had value and that Came from learning correctly how to use. For me, it was Google Analytics, which is what I, I specialize in, and the the feeling of standing up in front of a room to say, "You gave me some money in our budgets, in our salaries, the office that we're sitting in, the equipment that we're using. This is what we did, and this is what the return on investment was." It wasn't the warm feeling in my tummy. A kind of the the lines are going in one direction. We're going to say it was us. It was really empowering to have some numbers to justify what you did and hypotheses for other things you were going to do in the future and i just loved that and i didn't i didn't get any formal training and then as i started going into training realizing that nobody does right like you start a job laura and they'll go welcome hello here's the email go log into all of these tools have a lovely day there's hardly any documentation Mm. There's no formal training unless you've got your own experience or you've gone on a course or you've brought somebody in to go through this with you. Yet we're using these tools to justify all of our work, which I just found just, you know, you just slow blinking going. This is a really important tool, but not everybody knows how to use it properly. And we're all being told that data is brilliant. Where's the disconnect? So, yeah, I started doing a lot more in the training side of things, which I really enjoy doing. And then I'm also doing consultancy as well. And predominantly it's focusing on on measurement. So yeah, and GA4 because <laughs> yes,
0: we love GA4. <laughs> oh, amazing. Oh well, you love it. <laughs> Oh that amazing. I love that. And yeah, I think that's why I fell in love with performance marketing, because it was being able to sort of prove again with marketing, you get, you know, everyone thinks you can do everything. Oh, you must be able to design and you must be able to read data and you must be able to run our ppc Mm -hmm. as well as facebook ads and email and sort of you know i quickly realized that i wanted to specialize in performance well my kind of expertise was in facebook advertising because you could really prove your worth so yeah that's love that story and yeah it's really true about the about the analytics too because yeah nobody really does train on it and even working with some huge brands or speaking to a lot of huge brands more so now than I think because of maybe like iOS or a lot of things that have come, come in and happened. Like a lot of brands are kind of, you know, doing hundred, 200 K a month. And they're like, well, I'm not really sure. I mean, our email's doing pretty well. Our email team is saying they're doing really well. BBC is saying they're doing really well. We send mail outs and we don't really know like what's doing well. And you're kind of like, okay. That's <laughs> wow. That's interesting. Cause how are you going to scale or yeah. So I, I really, you know, I love that. And that's, that's why I'm so excited that, to, to talk about attribution with you today. So I'd love to dive into e-commerce tracking and attribution. Would you mind giving an overview? It's probably quite a broad question, but on how e-commerce tracking sort of works, especially well within GA cause I know, or GA4 now, cause I know that's your.
1: I would say that obviously with, with how how google analytics works you will predominantly have either a software that you're subscribing to that will do it for you so if you have a ga4 data stream and you're doing something like shopify you don't have to do a lot of the work a lot of these third-party vendors will do the heavy lifting for you there are then some companies which i'm sure are listening and people that you've worked with that built their own data layers they are using their own e-commerce platforms or other versions of platforms that you could be using and essentially it's about especially with GA4 making sure you're using the correct event structure because GA4 is built a little bit differently to Universal and if we don't follow what the computer program wants then the reports don't go the way that we want them to to work so we all know this but there's an event called purchase but I audited one account and they put Bought product and went, why is our report not working? I'm like, you are not using the name that the computer's listening out for. So computer said no. (laughs) And it's as simple as that. I think the wider question though, with with brands, and it's something that came up last week. I was at the Digital Analytics Summit in Amsterdam, and there were a lot of talks that had the same theme, which was around the value that you get from data. And I think you've got to step back and think it's not just about the business objectives because that's obviously important and all websites can be boiled down to you bought something or you filled out a form whether that's a charity whether that's a SaaS business whether it's e-commerce they pretty much fall into those two endpoints. and what people obsess over is that final macro conversion and i see this when i audit websites and i do training most people have a goal or a conversion which is great because you need something to benchmark it on you can't do attribution if you've got no conversions Mm -hmm. but they always default to this has to happen or the business is going to die and they miss out on those micro conversions or other points or points of a profitable understanding or a profitable interaction that supports the journey as they're working through your website and deciding if they trust you or not to buy from you and I think we need to look at both, not just technically, how does a data layer work and how do I build the event, but to think back as to do I use the data? What am I using this data for? Who's getting the report? And do I have all of the tools in place in order to make that happen? Now, a lot of people are still using GA4, of course. So you're going to be going through the recommended naming events for like generate lead or something if they've signed up to create an account or log in if they've gone in to log in and see the status of their order or their wish list and then the purchase events and e-commerce events because you want to track that that process but if we're doing any form of attribution attribution is just a fancy way of saying who gets credit and it feels like I've got a it's a bad joke but I said it feels like snow white and the seven dwarves like you're trying to find the one that makes you happy and (laughs) you end up feeling broken or dumb or bashful or whatever you never find the one that's just right for you yeah and I think it's I say they like the industry talks that I've that I've attended attribution is seen as this big dark secret box I think sometimes and if you boil it down to go I'm just trying to define what my source of truth is Because every platform has a different rule book Mm. to decide who gets the credit. So if you go into Facebook, they have a completely different weighted attribution for any conversions that will be different to Google Ads, that will be different to to Google, that will be different to your email service provider. And it's about working out what is your single source of truth that you would use to collect all of that data together. And then from there, decide what do I want to do in terms of assigning credit and unfortunately and this is probably going to move on to another question that's bubbling into your mind Mm -hmm. what are the different attribution models Google Analytics is binning off loads of attribution models they announced this in April this year so if you've got a new GA4 property I think you can only use data driven and then we've got last click we've then got Google ads clicked because lols Google's like give all your credit to our (laughs) ecosystem whereas if you're an e-commerce brand you're like yeah no you're going to be doing social and email and retargeting and organic so it's a bit unrealistic to say um everything's going to go to to Google ads
0: yeah
1: and the reason for this is that nobody was using it and I would probably say I agree with that I've done Probably over 250 universal analytics audits in my career I've done a good 100 in GA4 and most of the time people were relying purely on the one that Google provided or another software had provided they hadn't really thought about linear or time decay or their own bespoke one it was a very small percentage of businesses that were actually doing that yeah and they'd done a lot of work to get very clean accurate data in the in the first instance most brands you need to go back to the fundamentals to make sure that you are collecting things properly so you don't make mistakes with your data and one mistake that can happen that i see a lot with e-commerce brands especially with the switch over for ga3 to ga4 is the numbers don't quite make sense to them or the attribution has shifted And that can be because you don't know what you don't know and there's no documentation and the formal training is very limited so i've seen people where they didn't update their referral exclusions list as an example so all of their e-commerce sales were being attributed to their payment gateway providers like klarna or paypal or something because somebody didn't update that in ga4 because they thought so is that managing expectations oh I assumed the person that turned it on would do that Mike, did you brief them to do that did you know you had to do that or they did it set it forgot about it and then somebody adds Klarna as an example and didn't add it as a referral exclusion so I think before you dive into attribution you've got to go back to the foundations and make sure that the data that you're collecting is legal that the data that you are collecting is fit for purpose and that it is the data that you need to report on for your KPIs and your dashboards and not just reporting for the sake of it, because this is a bugbear of mine that the output of all of the work is a 2D report. And they are normally really ugly, high cognitive load. And I can't tell you, but if I ask you a question to go, when was the last report that you looked at and it was really clear what your insight action was from it? What was the report? What were you doing? When I ask that question to people, they're like, oh, oh, I don't know. Oh, actually, we, we stopped spending on some budget because it was going down. I'm like, did you build a segment to go and analyse the cohort to understand what the reason for that? Or did you look at that 2D report and go, Facebook's not performing. Let's pause the spend. I'm like, mm. that's, you need to go a few layers deeper, don't you, to see what's going to be happening. So if we're looking at that end report, what does that dashboard look like? How should it be visually? presented so my eight-year-old daughter could look at it and go oh that's good that could be better Mm -hmm. then you can start thinking about Mm attribution in terms of the different types and what you can do with it I think as we move forward with tracking limitations which are all completely sound I think you should ask people and honor those preferences of, of what you can and can't track you can then start thinking about how do I want to define credit for people? And we could talk about that as well, because there's some gotchas, I guess, with um, the GA4 interface with it. But I think it's going to be harder as we move forward in time. I think we're going to be looking at more aggregated data and less individual. you talked about iOS before, like if you can't track individuals on a creepy level, it's going to be aggregate users and the themes on what are they doing so it's almost like going back to marketing in the early 2000s mm. with 2023 technology, isn't it? Because it's like we can do more with what we've got, but we have managed completely fine over the last however many decades capitalism has reigned yeah. supreme. <laughs> and we can figure this out as well. So in a way, it's going to make things simpler with attribution because Google's removing it. And most of the platforms, they default to either we want to get all the credit because. They want you to spend more money with them, or you go to another solution where you gather everything and then you define what those rules might look like for you. But it's all like fantasy football, right? When you start building attribution models, you're like, I'm gonna get these players and then I'm gonna move around the weighting of them and then see what the output is. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what you're doing is working out how to get credit. But if you don't do anything with the data Laura, what's the point? Mm-hmm. So let me rant on for another five minutes. There's, <laughs> there's like two reports, I have talked about this in another podcast where if you go into GA4 specifically, obviously there are, are other performance tools of choice and you can look at any of them. But in GA4, if you go into the standard lifecycle reports, that's all your aggregate data. if You go into user acquisition, that is all first visit event fires. The look back window for that is 30 days, and I don't think people realize that because Universal was six months for the computer program to look back through all of its data to assign a source in a medium campaign, whatever, to get the glory of the sale in GA4 when a new user lands on your site if cookies haven't been present and it fires the first visit then that report is first touch user scoped which means it will only ever show you the first touch point of that user and the conversion look back window is 30 days now if you do have micro and macro conversion that's good because sometimes people maybe have longer window but most people should have done some interaction to care a bit within a 30-day window if not there's probably something wrong with what you're doing with your marketing now that report's really good if I'm trying to get new customers and I'm like right out of all of my channels and the role that they have on my performance what's the one that starts the journey and then you can go off and investigate well what was the creative could we refine the targeting you're doing something with that information so that is running on first touch attribution in that regard when you look at the traffic for the acquisition report this is slightly similar but kind of the same in that it is the first touch session scoped which means it will only show you the first touch point of each individual session Mm -hmm. now this is causing a little bit of friction and hopefully when people re-listen to this podcast google have given us a new report for this because at the moment it's got a longer look back window of 90 days compared to 30 in the the user report and obviously in GA3 we could have six months was mm-hmm. the default and we could even go back to 24 months at one point which was glorious mm-hmm. so you've got a shorter look back window which is going to change who gets credit if you do have conversions that are slightly longer but because it only shows you the first source of that particular session because it's session scoped it means that you're potentially missing data right if I've got a multi-touch point journey where I'm on Instagram then I go on PPC then I sign up for your email because it says give me your email I'll give you 10% off and then I just type in the browser directly the the first source of that session is going to get all the credit for it so what happens to the other middle bits Mm. because Google doesn't Create a new session when the campaign source changes mid session, which is good, but there's a, a little window of, 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 of a broken opportunity there. Now, there's a workaround with credit to, I'm going to say his name wrong, so forgive me, Braze Calvo, where you register the content term medium and source as a custom definition. And then you can build a reporting explore that says, what was the session source medium? So, what was the first touch point of that individual session? And then it shows you what the final touch point in that session was. So it's filling the gaps. Now, I'm mentioning this because if somebody's created a workaround, then surely Google could provide a pre-built report. So we can go, what was the first touch point for brand new people within a 30 day window? So I can pull more money at the top of the funnel, which impacts the end of it. What are the individual sources for each individual session? Because that was the one that got them started for that session. I'm wanting another report now that fills in the gaps for the middle yeah. because a lot of attribution questions I'm getting are down to the fact that Facebook says it sent a thousand and they're logging into GA4 and it says 600 and they're like where's it gone I'm like depends where it was in the journey yeah. if it was the second touch point in the session not going to be recorded but you can if you do this workaround. so there's there's these kind of nuances that Google's trying to provide with the challenges of tracking people whilst honouring privacy, but it's understanding what those attribution models are. So we've, we've almost got a first touch and a last touch report out of the box, and no matter what you do in your admin settings, those reports don't get impacted by it. Yeah. Now you then have the choice to say, I would like last touch or data-driven, and that will change the reports in exploring in your conversions. But I think we're going to be given less toys to play with. So previously with the Seven Dwarves, it's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears now. And it's finding the one that's just right for you to make it work is, is the challenge. Yeah. But going back to what we said earlier, if you haven't set up your configuration properly, if you've got staging and development sites in that data stream, you've diluted your conversion rate. So most brands, before they touch attribution, you have to make sure that the data that you've got is clean. And is tracking what you want it to track, that there's no blind spots. And then you can start thinking about, okay, what am I, what am I saying to the people above me, or if it's my own business, where do I spend my money? Where do I spend my time? Because that's ultimately what this is trying to do, right? That 2D report has to have some sort of action. It can't just be marketing did stuff, go back to the colouring in department. Mm. And that's what I would have. All these reports, and it was like, look, we've tangibilized all the stuff that we've just done. And the people that didn't get what we did were like, cool pie charts and charts and tables, marketing did stuff. Here's your purchase order, here's your budget, here's your salary. And it's like, we've got to do more than just go stuff happened, reports and whatever the attribution should be needs to be more actionable. And that might depend on maybe the business that you're in. Cause most startups that I've worked with, they're like bums on seats. We want to go for funding. We want to show that this is viable. So they'll focus on the top of the funnel right they'll be doing social media retargeting influencer because that's really good at getting people in Mm. but if you're a business that's 20 years old and you're on retention and you're building economies of scale and loyalty and lifetime value you might put more weight towards your email system then so maybe you'll be giving more credit and attention to the technology that you've built in if you're doing um a a truckload of of work on there and then in some regards, I actually most of the time try and keep email separate when you've got businesses like that, because you own that. That's a channel. challenge, it's right? You know, you've got your own database that you manage. You know, if Google do an update with search and you've dropped from your rankings or Twitter or X or whatever it's called now changes the way they do something. That can be impactful. Right. I know a lot of businesses that are on Instagram and I see them from small brands that I buy from. That do little posts to go. We're not getting the visibility, it's hurting our sales. Please sign up to our newsletter. Because that's really the only way you can safeguard communicating with people is to build that database. But that's costly, right? You're holding a database, you're paying to hold that database. You've got to think about the creative, and those emails can be used for loads of different tactics. So you've got to make sure you're tagging that properly to get the attribution for email. So, yeah, it, there's a lot of it depends with all of these, which is never, I always think somebody's going to expect me to write like a, here's, here's the things, here's the to-do list. Um, yeah. But really, it's a set of fundamentals and where are you in your business cycle? What's the, what's the data maturity of your company? What's the internal data maturity of the people using the data? Because there's businesses that have, you know, BigQuery and data lakes and all this stuff and they're all great and wonderful and very clever. But then at the end, you've got people that are in the very early stages of their analytics journey, and they don't know the difference between what is an attribution model, what's a dimension, what's a metric, because they've not had any training yet, they don't understand it. So there's that disconnect that a business can have a big data maturity model, but the people accessing the reports don't understand how it's processed and how it's collected, which means you've lost that competitive advantage, right? Yeah. What happens, so.
0: I think that's where yeah. my, my love-hate relationship with it comes in because I've worked with, well, I, I guess I, I feel like with Facebook advertising, social media advertising, it would, because as you say, like Google is so sort of favoured within GA and any yeah. marketing director or VP that I worked with would just always look at last click and it would be like Google yeah. Analytics Again, like you say, I think it's great advice about having the fundamentals in place to start with because I don't even know if they'd have that, but then all of their decisions were just based on this last click data that just didn't, it was like, well, why even bother doing any social media ads? We're never going to see, you know, the returns or, or that kind of information. So just on that, on the attribution side of things now within GA4, do you, I suppose there is no perfect attribution model is there is there? Is it just purely no. dependent per business like you say what level of what maturity kind of phase they're in I yeah
1: i think so because i think for me and taking a, a kind of slightly different angle to the way that i approach that end point because ultimately anything that i'm doing whether i'm training somebody building a measurement strategy i do a whole load of scoping questions at the beginning of any project About 10 years ago, my first instinct was like, roll up your sleeves, Jill. Let's go into the admin and let's see what's turned on, what's turned off. It was very process driven, very analytical, as you can imagine. The bit that I started to change came about when I was working for somebody and they were like, do you know what? I actually don't read these reports. I don't really know what I'm looking at. I don't understand it. I don't really trust the data that's in there because it's different to what I'm seeing. Could you just pop it on little post-it note and i was like no like you've got my i honestly panicked i was like no no you've got you've got all the things i've done all the things like read all the things and they were like "Nah, could you just like pop it on a post-it note so i i lovingly adopted it and called it post-it note reporting (laughs) and it feeds back to working out when you build these reports ultimately one maybe two people can ultimately do anything with that data you can inform 20 30 50 100 people one or two people actually have the power to say yes continue with your strategy so i'm paying you yes continue with the agency you've got budget and that's basically it right like they there's one or two people that you are performing for Mm. so it's working out those reporting personas who are you reporting to and what is important to them. And then how can I visualize a dashboard that could be a one-pager introduction executive summary, then we go into the weeds later because they don't give a shit about that, to be honest. They care about, tell me on on a post-it note what's happening. And I did did a talk, as I said last week, and and I focused on this particular topic. And to highlight this in terms of what is the best attribution? How do you present things? i did a workshop for general assembly back in 2018 i think it was and it was called marketing metrics that matter a very catchy title for that now what i what i found for this with this post-it note reporting i reached out to loads of people in my industry and i said if you could only take a couple of metrics to the board what would they be and why? Like, what's your favorite metric? Because, you know, I'm cool and I think about what people's favorite <laughs> metrics are. And a couple of people that came back to me, one of them was Edwina Dunn, obviously the godwoman of loyalty schemes. And hers was all about share of wallet, channel preference. So, what channel do your customers actually want to communicate with? So, not, well, we're doing email and face. Like, no, no, how do they want you to talk to them? Is it direct mail? Is it email? don't cause any friction Mm -hmm. what's the coverage of uh, proportion they're all retail loyalty focused i then got a response from rand fishkin who at the time was exiting mars and building on spark toro and he was after things like lifetime value cost of customer attribution churn rate channel acquisition but again he's in the early phases of a startup so that's what he was focused on Then another guy called Jim Stern, who in the analytics world is like the godfather of analytics. I'm sure he won't mind me saying that. And his was basically an if in doubt, start with show how you've increased revenue, show how you've done that by lowering costs, but don't piss off your customer, improve your customer satisfaction. So MPS scores, that kind of thing. And have you made things more efficient? Have you increased your capabilities? And when you understand that, you can then start to map out what your report would look like and i always wireframe my report before i build it because you've built reports i've built reports they take ages trying to figure it out trying to see what's what's possible and it goes back to that advice that i had from my former boss which was manage expectations because when people don't get what they want and this is borrowing from Brene brown here love her definition of this disappointment comes from un unmet expectations and I'm like god damn it that's a great way of going why am I unhappy about this so if you do a wireframe pen and paper to go I'm going to build you this report because I'm trying to get this story across Mm -hmm. because of our state of our business the products that we're selling what we're investing in at the moment in terms of resources and strategies and tactics and then that should be reviewed on a quarterly six and twelve month basis because if you've gone into the We've exploded and we've expanded. That report's no longer fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. You now need to have a different set of metrics that might be important from, you know, the startups going. We want to show that this is a viable business. Maybe they want to get some funding or a loan from the bank. So you need some data to show that you have a an audience ready and willing to spend money with you. So you will default to what was the first touch point? which is that report we get in GA. So you're using that first touch attribution model. What was the last touch point in their last session? And then you can just paint a picture of bookend in it. I've done things with the micro and the macro conversions and a bit of homework for the listeners. There is a book called Lean Analytics by Alistair Kroll from 2013. I'll send you the link for this because it's a a good little book. And he did a webinar that I watched that said, if you can't write down your business model on one piece of A4 paper, you do not know your business well enough. And in this book, there are six different business models that is mapped on a piece of paper. And one of them is e-commerce. And it's got all in there about what are all the different touch points that you should be collecting from a business point of view. And what I did is I looked at these models and mapped out all of the micro and macro conversions. And we have 20 in GA3. You get 30 in GA4. So you can start off with showing me people that landed on the website and maybe looked at our social media icons at the bottom because you can track that with a click event. Somebody searched for something using the, the view search bar. Somebody click through some images somebody watched a video somebody looked at a product added to basket added to wish list bought it referred a friend left a review joined our loyalty scheme. Like you can do the whole journey and then you look at your data and go which of these am i tracking to support the business model and most of the time it's we bought something i'm like okay what about people that sign up to create an account you could then blend that with your email data to see if a surge in data signups correlate with an improved circulation and and work for your email and you can start to see what's happening because if it's going in the other way then you're not keeping your customers happy you need to review your email because if you're growing your database but you're not getting traffic what's what's going on there that kind of thing and when you get all of those different various touch points i like to heat map it in a report and having that color code, if you if you can imagine it now, you've got like, let's just say we just do five micro goals just to make it easy. So checked out our social media, signed up to our newsletter, added to basket, added to wishlist, bought the product or something like that. And then you can have your channels. And what you'll see is when you heat map it, you'll see the role that those channels have to play in your funnel. And it might be that Facebook never gets them to buy the product because it's top of the funnel, it gets them to sign up to your newsletter. And it might be that some of the SEO stuff that you're doing with organic, when somebody goes off and maybe does a review and has a sense check, is really good for getting them to create an account. And then maybe PPC, because they know what they're buying, they've done their decision making, and it's a brand term and they've found you and they've clicked on it and they convert. And I think mapping it out in that visual way, using the post-it notes at the top, you can tell a story to go, these channels really good for the first touch point to get everybody in we should pour money into this because funnel needs some fuel this is the last touch which everybody defaults to and now let's heat map the roll and you'll see it, it's lovely it's like oh we have a 9% conversion rate for facebook and that's that's very clear then to go if you turn this off you don't get the sale mm. like we know this we know in our gut that some of that stuff at the top of the funnel they don't convert but they would never have known the brand term if I hadn't seen that post on Instagram, as an example. I mean, this is for most of my discovery of products is either the kids telling me something on TikTok because I refuse to. I, I know I'll lose time on TikTok, which is the only reason why I don't do it. Plus, I get to see the TikToks on Instagram anyway. So, you know, <laughs> classic millennial I don't change. I've been a big discovery all classic word of mouth and somebody sending me a referral code. But again, if I'm an an established business and I'm in and I've been with you for a while, what is my channel preference? What is the way that I want to communicate? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes brands can try and force people to do something that they don't want to do. It's like, I don't want to join your Facebook community. I want when I ring your customer service line that somebody picks up the phone. If there's a problem with my order, I want an email that isn't going to be taking seven days for somebody to get back to me. Like, there's just loads of nuances isn't there with with what you're doing but understanding who's getting the report and how you can visualize it in that way is sometimes all people need to do you can jump to these tools and softwares where you can build all of these fancy attributions and different weights and whatever but i think you need to go on a journey first which is probably why google has killed them off to go nobody uses them like in their view two percent of their entire everybody that uses google analytics they're saying two percent actually were accessing those multi-channel funnel reports that we had Mm. like because we were still all conditioned to last touch everybody thought you had to do some fancy attribution model i'm like no it's just a fancy way of saying who gets credit and it's about understanding what are the opportunities and how is the data processed in the tool that you're using. So if you're using another tool, you need to research how that works, right? Because that could just be last touch and you get nothing. Or you bake it into another platform and build from there. But I think there's more there's more that could be done at baseline level before we run off and, and be like, let's start cooking up loads of stuff that we don't need. Because ultimately that could be a pointless vanity project that nobody looks at because, they like the way things have always been
0: yeah wow yeah thank you that's so interesting I have so many questions (laughs) about like so many different areas but I think yeah and I love the kind of it is it's it's shocking how many how many businesses aren't using all of that kind of data that you've just described and it was always just about yeah looking at the looking at the last touch and when you were saying about socials or they've come in through Facebook because so many times after battle everybody just says oh look Google's killing it for me because look at GA yeah. but there's literally
1: Facebook. Yeah. Going, we've got loads of direct traffic and it was untagged emails that were opened on Outlook mm. and if you don't have a UTM tag it'll go in referral or direct depending on where it's open yeah and I've had people bring me in to go I think we're going to lay some people off Jill but we need to justify it And we were looking at these reports and I don't know why we're spending money on marketing because direct is the number one channel. And I'm like, number one, that isn't all direct. We all know about dark direct, that that could be social. It could be, it could be direct. It could actually be direct. It could be untagged content that hasn't got any parameters added to it. There's loads of things that can happen. And it's only when we started doing that, like heat map and tagging things properly, again, getting the foundations, right that those reports shifted gears. And they were like, oh, so we don't get rid of marketing. I'm like, well, you can, but in about three months time, when your leads have run out, you're gonna, Mm. there's no business left. You just, you've got to keep the fire going and you've just poured a load of water on it because you don't understand what's happening. And they had all of the reports, Laura, but again, it's the word soup. They're just like, here's loads and loads of pages. And I get this with clients where I look at it and go, what am I looking at? Mm like because it just looks a mess like pie charts we can't read pie charts it's really hard to get perspective on a pie chart Mm. try and do a small multiple could you do something with a scatter plot that makes it easy to understand what products are selling or what people are searching for and that's the justification for you to change your budgets? like there's all sorts of things we can do but I think we rely on what comes out of the box too much Mm. instead of going well, what do I need for my business, the stage of the business, and the resources that I have? And then how can I mold these to do what I want it to do? Because mm-hmm. default settings, default reports don't do anything for anybody because everybody's different, right? Yeah. And I'm sure you see this with your clients. Same industry, but completely different in terms of how they work, which I always find fascinating because you're like, well, I thought they'd be like carbon copies, but there's always just something slightly different. Mm in each of them they don't act the same way in that regard so you have to tweak it yeah a little bit
0: yeah and it's well it just goes to show doesn't it how vital this kind of the work that you do is because people because businesses make these massive decisions and could cost them their entire business because of because yeah. they're not either they've got the data but they don't know how to read it or they're
1: looking at the wrong things yeah. so yeah and I've met people that we've done discovery calls and they were really honest when I'm like do you use the data what do you and they were like do you know what we actually don't want to invest in the money to get this working properly we'll just pull together Google search console the Facebook data maybe stuff from our CRM and go from there I'm like cool that's great if that's what you want to do bob on and crack on with it you know it's all relevant to what you're doing I've met some businesses, not many, but a few over the last three years that have gone, we actually don't have any analytics, but we thought with GA4, let's stand. I'm like, what have you been doing? And they're like, (laughs) I think it's a mixture of luck and instinct. But the business was getting to a point where the luck was running out and there's been too many political shocks to business in the last three, four years that they can't rely on it anymore. They're like, we need a bit more guidance. So the ones that when we've got it in the background, we don't log in, we don't use it, are now going, actually, maybe we do need it. Yeah. And then there's some businesses that if they're small, it's not worth the investment. Mm. But then again, what I've been saying, well, if you're small and you're a one person company and you've only got your maximum best you know, use cases to produce a hundred units, and you've only got two SKUs well cool you can probably wing it on your Shopify data and Klaviyo and a bit of your Facebook Instagram profile you don't need anything else at this point Mm -hmm. unless you want to expand yeah and they're like no no I'm still going to work from home still going to do this it's like cool yeah Versus a massive e-commerce brand and you're like "Mm, you need it
0: or it's it's for us it's like brands where um they're at the point where they're trying to scale once they're coming to us like we can't scale anymore and like the facebook agency don't really know they're like throwing more money into it um the like ppc is doing okay we think and then email we're sending three emails a week now but you know we're still not managing to scale and it's because they just don't because they don't understand where the sales are coming from they don't understand where their new customer acquisition is coming from versus their retention
1: and that's where we we find it I think you can do in ga4 though we could never do in ga3 and some of the other tools and i've spoken about this at a few other events but i'll I'll, I'll talk about it again because i think they're the star of ga4 which is audiences so audiences in ga4 you can use them for google ads So if you've turned on google signals and you want to build an audience specifically for google ad remarketing you can crack on with that but you can also use the audiences even with signals turned off You get a hundred of them in the free version and they could also be used from a analysis point of view because you can layer event counts and time okay now one thing that you can do with this as an example so i have two examples of like i've got a question that i need to answer what can analytics do to help me that were from beauty product companies in the uk now one of them had said Jill, we've done loads of SEO. Loads of SEO optimized the website, page, images, product reviews. It's not just for SEO. This is usability is bloody good. We know it's impacting sales, but all the credit's going to the last touch point, which was the product page. So we don't get any love because we're at the top of the funnel. So we built an audience that said, show me all of the users that fired the page view event that contained this keyword. And then within 30 minutes, you bought a product. And then we built another one that did the same, but said in the 30 minutes, but you didn't see that content. And we were able to show that if you saw the optimized content, you put one more product in your basket. i might just show that to the board, just show them that and be like, could we maybe optimize some other bits? Could we maybe repurpose some of this content for social because it, it gets people to trust us and they buy more products. There was another one where a brand said, we want to understand where our best and worst customers come from. Now the look back for time in audiences is 60 days. I'd love it to be longer, but at the moment it's 60 days. So we built an audience that said, show me users that purchased twice in the last 30 days. And the average order value was double what the average order value was. So it's almost applying a recency frequency value proposition Mm -hmm. to your segmentation. Because I can go into the standard reports and where there's a filter, You can filter by audiences so we were like okay well where do the people and for one client 150 pounds was the average order value and i'm like what's a realistic top right fantastic and they're like 300 like realistically people just don't we don't get any orders really more than 300 i'm like okay let's see how many users when they purchased purchased double the average order value created that as an audience Went into the acquisition reports and filtered by audience name, and then you can reverse engineer and go your top customers came from these marketing channels. So, if your goal next quarter is to make, I don't know, a thousand pounds, keeping it simple, would you spend your money on the tools that get that person to spend 50, 100, 150? Or would you put maybe a bit more budget in the ones that spend double the average order value? If your goal next quarter is to make that target, Mm -hmm. and don't know that you can do this, you don't do it. You just take the basic report: what was the revenue, what was the return on investment, what's the conversion rate, and you do your report, and you you just crack on with it. Analytics can and should be more than that. It depends on the questions that you're trying to answer and digging into it. And I think that's where, for me, if you learn how to use it and use it well, you gain a bit of a competitive advantage because you've got some data to. Help what you're doing, or well, you could guess. Like I'm old enough to do. I mean, we did facts as one of our modules at university. So, did <laughs> like, like, you know, you're doing e-marketing, and then we did normal marketing, and obviously now it's just marketing for it. But <laughs> yeah, we still did all right when we couldn't track all of yeah. this. Is my main yeah. Point. So you can just do business without without having all of it, but you've got to think your job is really another person behind a desk trying to figure this out as well. Mm. And if you're trying to get a share of wallet, then would you not want some information to be as competitive and even just 1%? I can't remember the word of it. I was was watching that um, thing on Netflix with the Tour de France thing where the Sky team had like 1% incremental gains everywhere to collectively have. And that's the kind of thing I like with analytics that you could just do a little bit of extra here there and everywhere can compound into something mm. a bit more interesting and like for this brand their seo agency were delighted because i'm like you now get you, you your retainers you retain it basically yeah. keep going yeah. and with the teams that were doing marketing with that audience segmentation kind of thing it just meant that they could go back to the board and say here's your post-it notes at the top here's the data visualized in a way that has a low cognitive load. And by the way, because of this insight, we're hypothesizing that we're going to double the budget on this campaign because those users spend more.
0: Mm.
1: we're like, all right, Laura, crack on. Here's your budget. Yeah. You know, let me know when you best case, worst case, what actually happened. Yeah. You know, manage your expectations because yeah. it's not. It's not, and this will be the one thing that I'll end on. It's not a given just as when you're doing a b testing i get people that go cool we're going to do a b testing i'll double my revenue i'm like no <laughs> you'll do loads of testing and you'll learn something from each test but changing the colors of the button doesn't make you a millionaire working about attribution it's always a hypothesis so it's managing expectations of i'm giving you some information on what has actually just happened mm-hmm. unless you've got any predictive. um kind of metrics that you can work with most people it's historical lagging data but based off of how I've used it I'm hypothesizing what to do next time best case scenario we convert more people that spend 300 pounds which will give us a better return on investment lower costs and everybody's happy worst case scenario it's the same as it was before yeah you know what actually happened and then you rinse and repeat that process and
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think that's the I mean, I don't know if people are happy with this podcast or not with their, with their, the kind of messaging, but it's, it's the fundamentals and the business model and more than one data point, post-it note reporting, and then thinking about how you can visualize it in a way and use the tools to give you more than you would, than your competitors are properly doing
0: amazing thank you so much that's no i think it's been really great and i i think it'll just open up people's eyes if anything to you know to what is possible and what what they're not doing to yes like you say to have the competitive advantage and to to get the most out of their their businesses so it's been really interesting and i've learned so much already i've got loads of notes to go back to our team with so <laughs> um awesome. yeah thank you so much um How can our listeners, because I'm sure there's lots of people that will want to connect with you and, you know, they're probably desperate for your help. So how can listeners connect with you?
1: So I, I am the cartooned person on LinkedIn. There's a few of the Jill Quicks in the world, surprisingly. So yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. And I've got my website, which is the colouring in department, spelt the American way, people. (laughs) I do have a good chunk of my audience and my clients have been based in America. So (laughs) I changed the spelling (laughs) to optimise for the Americans. Don't hate me. I'm dyslexic anyway, so I do just, I don't spell it the right way half the time anyway. So yeah, that's probably the best way. I'd say Twitter X or whatever, but that seems like it is on a slow decline Mm. in terms of, usage and I'm a bit of a lurker to be fair like I'm you know like there's lots of people that are actively on social and I kind of just observe and then engage ever better one I'm probably more
0: on there
1: for it and yeah site as well.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. Well, we'll link those in the show notes as well. So everybody can connect with you. But yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. And thanks everybody for listening. If you enjoyed the show, then please subscribe or follow us for more episodes coming soon. And if you love this episode, then please leave us a review. Lastly, if you're keen to discuss any aspect of your digital marketing for your business, then the team at Pink Leopard are more than happy to help. You can go to our website, pinkleopard.co.uk for details. Thanks so much again, Jill. It's been absolutely amazing and I've loved chatting with you. You're welcome. Thank you. See you later.